Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Thursday the 13th of August and I'm joined by Jamila Rizvi. What is the latest from lockdown in Melbourne? Oh, look, Tom, it's pretty quiet and it's pretty lonely. I think yesterday could have summed up for me the whole of this pandemic because I kicked a Sharon into a tree in the rain and made my five-year-old cry. That's been 2020. Oh, no. Wow, what a sad image. Yeah, it's been a rough time. And then the Sharon popped when we got it out of the tree. So it just keeps getting worse. So, friends, be worried about what's ahead. Oh, God. And what an indictment on our future. (laughs) Um, Now, Jamila, are you a dog or a cat person? I hate answering this question because people don't like me afterwards, but I am very firmly a cat person. I'm a cat woman, and I look forward to becoming very much the epitome of that in my old age. All right. Well, in a moment here on The Briefing, we're going to find out how dogs not cats, could save us from the pandemic. The beauty of the dog is that they can detect people that are symptomatic, but they can also detect people that don't have any symptoms or even people that are before the symptoms. So it's an amazing segment about how sniffer dogs can detect COVID-19 and cats can't. It's different for cats. It's very different for cats. <laughs> dogs are just show-offs. Yeah. I mean, it, like, it sounds like it's quite good in terms of, you know, future of humanity, but still, show-offs. <laughs> All right, that one in just a moment. Uh, right now, let's hit the big news stories of the day. New Zealand has identified yet another coronavirus case, taking their total to five. The newest case is a woman who has returned home from Pakistan and is currently in quarantine. Yeah, and there are four more suspected infections linked to that four-person family cluster from Auckland. There are also an additional four probable cases uh, who are people with symptoms linked to the four community-based cases. Uh, All of these probable cases are awaiting test results. That was New Zealand's Director General of Health, Dr Ashley Bloomfield. Yeah, and the big question officials are trying to answer right now is how the virus got into the country outside of quarantine and infected an Auckland family and then some of their contacts. And authorities are considering some pretty unusual hypotheses in this attempt to solve the mystery. One of the family members works at a cool storage facility and New Zealand authorities are wondering whether imported freight might have been the cause. It's unlikely. Um, We're not ruling that out. And of course, we'd want to get to the bottom of that. And that's why the the actual cool store environment has been swabbed. So it'll be interesting to see the results. Down here in Victoria, we had some more good news yesterday on the cases front, settling just over 400, which means the numbers are stabilising. But at the same time, Tom, we're seeing more and more deaths. Of course, 21 people died in Victoria yesterday, which is the highest number yet. All right, we now know exactly who Donald Trump is up against in this year's presidential election. Democratic hopeful Joe Biden has named Senator Kamala Harris as his running mate. So if Biden wins the presidency, Harris will be the vice president of the United States. America is in crisis, and I know Joe Biden will lead us out of it. As Joe says, we're in a battle for the soul of this nation. But together, it's a battle we can win. We just have to take action. The high-profile Californian senator is the first black woman to run on a major party's presidential ticket. So, Tom, this is really, really exciting. President Donald Trump was quick to respond, though, pointing out that Kamala Harris ran her own failed bid for the Oval Office earlier this year, and now she's settling for the second spot. She did very, very poorly in the primaries, as you know. She was expected to do well and spent a lot of money. 
She had a lot of things happening, and so I was a little surprised that he picked her. Yeah, so Jamila, what can you tell us about Kamala Harris? Who is she? Well, she's a Democratic senator from California, and as I said earlier, only the second African-American woman to serve in the Senate. She was previously a district attorney in San Francisco and later attorney general of California, which means... She's kind of quick on her feet and really quite cutting, if I'm honest. She's a real no-bullshit feminist and famously grilled Supreme Court judicial candidate Brett Kavanaugh, if you remember him, about abortion. She asked him if he knew of any laws that the government had the power to make over the male body, and he quite famously sat there silently and couldn't answer. She's, um, She's also, Tom, been a bit of a sparring partner for Donald Trump previously and she hasn't been afraid to call him out and she has described his border wall as a vanity project and compared him to the incompetent bloke behind the curtain in The Wizard of Oz. And when she (laughs) bowed out of the presidential race uh, in 2019, Trump tweeted, too bad, we'll miss you Kamala. And she clapped back, don't worry Mr. President, I'll see you at your trial. Wow, she's got a good sense of humour. Yeah, she's. Um, you can tell I'm a little bit pumped. She would have been my pick if I was uh, a little bit involved over there. Uh, she would have been my pick for the presidential candidate. So I'm excited she's on the ticket. So from what you've told me there, she sounds like quite a progressive candidate. Does that mean she might struggle to win over middle America? I think that's a really fair reflection and there will definitely be some fears, particularly about sort of white men in the south of America who tend to be a bit anxious about voting for women. And I think that will potentially be magnified because Kamala's a black woman. Well, really interesting development. Um, She sounds like she's going to be interesting to watch, that's for sure. Not that we needed any more entertainment in the US (laughs) presidential election, but uh, yeah, we'll find out more about her in the coming days. Western Australia is seeking to pass emergency legislation to stop a $30 billion lawsuit from Clive Palmer. The Premier says the lawsuit could bankrupt the state. A payment to the tune of $30 billion would cripple, cripple the state of Western Australia. That is $12,000 paid by every person in Western Australia direct into Mr Palmer's pocket. Yeah, so that's the WA Premier Mark McGowan. Now, Palmer's suing the state for damages over a failed mining deal in the Pilbara in 2012. And overnight, a bill designed to kill off Mr Palmer's claim passed the lower house in WA, and it's expected to pass the upper house today. Yeah, so this legal fight over mining damages is separate to Clive Palmer's high court challenge on the WA border closure but the WA government's alleging that Palmer offered to withdraw the border lawsuit if they agreed to proceed with the hearings on his mining damages claim. So it's a very interesting stoush going on here. Um, Clive Palmer's had a pretty good run in court in recent years, um, winning hundreds of millions of dollars in cases against a Chinese mining company and in relation to his nickel refinery. He's quite the litigant, isn't he, Clive Palmer? Loves a court case. And a pretty big change coming to Australian universities. Students who fail half of their first-year courses won't be eligible for government subsidies like a help debt anymore. Federal Education Minister Dan Tehan has told the nine newspapers it's part of a crackdown on students leaving university with a massive debt but without actually graduating. Tom, I was in danger of being one of those people. Oh, really? (laughs) One stage in my university career. I think I did the late pullout out of a good four or five, and I think I failed too. <laughs> I was not a good university student. 
Yeah, well, there's been some extreme cases, which is sort of what the government's cracking down on. There was someone that took out 44 courses with 24 providers and racked up over 600 grand worth of debt and didn't even get a qualification. I, I read this this morning and I thought, back to my first year of university and how actually scary it was not knowing if you'd pass or fail those first few subjects and also being really scared of of having to change courses if things weren't working out and that the tough laws where you, you have your sort of um, government support taken away when you fail would be quite scary if you're in that position. Yeah, I agree. I sort of feel like the crackdown should have happened on later year university students rather than often 18-year-olds who are just starting out and finding their feet. All right, thanks, Jamila. In a moment, Annika will be in the studio as we find out the incredible role that dogs could be about to play. Hey, Annika, when you look at your sleepy Dalmatian, do you think this dog could be the hero of the pandemic? Look, he's a hero in my mind, but I see it like a parent. I don't think he's exactly going to save the world. Well, we're about to find out what other dogs could do to help us in the pandemic. Yeah, Tom, could dogs actually be the hero? Now, why is this the case? Why are we even thinking this is a possibility. New research shows they can smell if you have COVID-19 and they smell it through our sweat. That is rather incredible and disgusting. But let's find out how they do it, which breeds are best and how our furry friends could actually maybe potentially save us from COVID and see us heading off on planes soon. Yeah, there's a group of Adelaide Uni researchers working to get dogs into action here in Australia. Dr. Annelise Chabert is from the School of Animal and Vet Science at Adelaide Uni. Annelise, thanks for joining us. How does this work? How can dogs detect COVID-19? Well, what do they smell? We don't know. But uh, all I can tell you is that the proof of concept has been validated. If we give sweat uh, of people that are being infected by COVID-19 to dogs, they are able to detect something in this sweat that they cannot detect in the sweat of people that are not infected. We don't know what scent they are getting. Uh, and that's also part of the analysis we're going to do. But yeah, it's now been validated that they can do it. How much do you need to sweat? You know, do you need to go for a run and then come home to have a dog sort of sniff this out? Or is it just the normal odour we would, you know, send out during the day? Yeah, normal odour. You don't need to sweat a lot at all. <laughs> um, at the very beginning, we actually uh, asked people to keep a swab uh, under their armpit for 20 minutes. But at the end, we won't even need that. We will just need a wipe and it will be enough. So if you don't know what the dogs are actually smelling or how they're getting this result, but you know they're getting a good result, how do you train them to do it? So we take a sample from people that are confirmed positive by another test, which is called PCR. Um, So the people that have been confirmed positive by PCR, we actually say, okay, that's a positive sample. And the people uh, that have been negative by PCR, we say, okay, that's a negative sample. And each time the dog is going to smell a positive sample, we'll give him a reward. So it's always positive reinforcement. And very quickly, he's going to actually understand, okay, that's what I'm looking for. And if you give a line of samples, so you put all the samples in line, he's going to sniff all of them. And each time it's positive, he will sit in front of this positive sample waiting for his reward. So Annelise... This is being used in Dubai Airport. Is that the only place it's being used so far? No, so it's been used in Dubai Airport. It's also currently being used in Corsica, France. It started to use it in uh, places where there is a lot of workers in uh, in the UAE to actually screen the people who were working. 
is starting to actually get momentum and deployed in different areas. Which breeds are, are best suited for this purpose? In Australia, we are mainly going to use uh, German Shepherd and uh, Labradors. And why is that? Well, because they are very good. They've got a good nose, but also they are really happy to work. People actually like to be uh, with Labradors. So we are thinking in the deployment phase, it will be good to have animals that people are happy to have around them. Maybe people will be happier to be sniffed by a Labrador than a big and massive dogs. <laughs> Those scary <laughs> German shepherds. So where do you think the dogs should be used and, and how big a part of the solution to the pandemic could they be? We'll, there will not be one silver bullet uh, to actually uh, tackle this COVID crisis. So we need a lot of different tests. And I don't think that the dogs are going to be replacing the other tests, but I think it's going to be complementary. They could be a first good screening tool to actually check people who are arriving in airports. They could be used um, to screen uh, hospital staff just to make sure that they don't get contaminated uh, while working. They could be used in a lot of places such as aged care home. So the potential for this new screening tool is 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 quite uh, incredible. So if these dogs are getting so close to people that they can smell their sweat, how do you know that the dogs aren't going to catch the coronavirus and then spread it? That's a very good question. One of the most important thing is that the dogs are not uh, good at replicating the virus. They don't have the right receptors to actually uh, get infected and replicate the virus. So they are unlikely to become a source of the disease. So how important is this development in perhaps getting us back traveling and going overseas? If they get introduced to airports, is it a key point to making sure we can travel again? Yes, that's what we really hope. I think as soon as we will be able to actually screen people and have a real, reliable results, we will be much better to actually reopen the economy and also to actually try to um, stop any uh, spread of the infection, like for now during the second wave. We have to know who is infected and who is not. The beauty of the dog is that they can detect people that are symptomatic, but they can also detect people that don't have any symptoms or even people that are before the symptoms. So um, doesn't have to have symptoms to actually be detected by the dog. And that's very important. We also know that dogs can help detect other diseases or perhaps help before somebody's about to have a seizure. So how important are dogs becoming in that sort of medicine? What else can we use them for? Yes, dogs are currently being used to actually um, detect some type of cancer. They've been used to detect Parkinson. Um, they are used to actually uh, detect diabetes. They they are used now in a variety of uh, screening uh, methods for disease. I think it's going to be a, a tool that is going to be used um, more and more in the next um, decade. And can I just double check what you said before, Annelise, that dogs don't get COVID or is it more that they are very unlikely to get it? Uh, they are very, very, very unlikely to get it. There is only two reports in the world of a dog that was suspected to have COVID, didn't have um, a strong immune response at all, actually didn't have an immune response, didn't show any symptoms. They did the serology, there, is, there was almost no immune response. And they say, oh, the PCR might have been positive because either the dog was actually uh, infected or it's because it was with his owner who was infected and maybe it was actually, actually just a mechanical vector, like right. it could have been a table, dog nose or whatever, it's just because uh, it was there when someone was actually shedding. 
it's different for cats. It's very different for cats and for other animals. But for dogs, like all the um, tests, even done experimentally, where they actually injected COVID-19 to dogs, showed that they didn't replicate the virus. So dogs are better than cats? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, just to summarise, this, this is pretty amazing what you're telling us here. The dogs basically don't get COVID. They're, according to this French study, around 90% accurate in detecting it and they detect the disease before symptoms are even showing. That's yes. all true. That's so, quite incredible. Yeah. So, and uh, regarding the accuracy, um, what we found, uh, and that's uh, compiling the, um, the data from France, the UAE and Lebanon, what we found is that they're actually up to 100% at detecting the um, positive sample, meaning if you are positive, the dog is going to tell you you are positive. You don't have false negative, which is very important for a screening tool, but you've got some false positive, meaning you don't have the disease and dogs think that you've got the disease. For a screening tool, it's still a good news because you want to actually have a reliable result when it comes to um, positive cases. That was Dr. Anne-Lee Chabert from Adelaide Uni. Now, Tom, this is pretty incredible. It yeah. sure beats having a swab up your nose, doesn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Just incredible that the dogs don't get COVID-19 and they're close to 100% accurate. They can actually save us. And I'm thinking, as opposed to having a COVID marshal on the dance floor at my wedding next year, if everybody can just pass by a Labrador and give it a pat before they come in, it's going to be a great way to monitor who has COVID-19. Yes, way better than a dude standing there in hive is <laughs> on the dance floor. Um, let's speak to Anne Lisa's colleague from Adelaide Uni, Dr. Susan Hazel, about how the dogs can be trained and, and rolled out here in Australia. So we're involved in this initial phase where we do know that it works. It's, it's been shown through the, the international team that it's working very effectively in some countries. But we're still continuing with the research. So we, we know that dogs are, are very reliable in picking up positive samples, but sometimes they might pick up a, a negative sample. So we're continuing with the research of that, try to work out how specific they are, how sensitive they are, and then in collaboration with the authorities around Australia, it, it will be up to them where they might be rolled out. And how receptive have governments and authorities been to this program? I think, you know, some people might be cynical thinking dogs can do this, but it's amazing this technology if we can use it. So do you think it's likely they will see this at airports or nursing homes or hospitals? I do think so. Yeah, I do. There's been a, an incredible amount of, of goodwill. Everyone that we've spoken to about the project gets very excited by it, particularly the idea that dogs might be able to pick up people even before they have symptoms or who are non-symptomatic. So it won't replace the other tests, but I think it could be a, a really helpful addition. And, and the other important thing to remember even though this has is, is really hit a lot of people and surprised them, it's probably not going to be the last pandemic that occurs. Mm. And there will be other diseases as well that what we learn from this project we'll be able to use for future projects. So just lastly, Susan, how quickly could this be rolled out? How quickly could we put the dogs to work? So if we have um, some dogs that are already experienced detector dogs, they could be trained up very quickly. So I'm talking within weeks. But then the implementation is probably going to take just that little bit longer to get all the approvals in, in place and put them out. But we're hoping that they, they might be available as soon as possible. That was Dr. Susan Hazel from Adelaide Uni. Um, hopefully they can get this rolling out soon, Annika. I did notice they didn't mention Dalmatians weren't one of the <laughs> breeds that 
they were really working with. Not really surprised by that, although he would do anything for a treat, so maybe I can just work <laughs> on a little project here at home. All right, tomorrow on The Briefing, the Beirut crisis explained. Why did the whole government resign because of that explosion? Get that on The Briefing tomorrow. And thank you so much for listening, by the way. And we would love you to... Uh, Share your love of the briefing with your friends. And the best way to do that, if you ever hear something that you find interesting, uh, like today's segment about the dog disease detectives, then share a little Insta story picture from where you're listening to the briefing and tag some friends who would be interested in that story. That would be a great way to spread the word about the briefing. Have a great day. We'll speak to you tomorrow. A Podcast One production.